This morning we'll look at the subject of repentance. This is the beginning of the year, and I'm kind of going back. So I've been preaching from whatever our reading is, which would have been from Exodus this morning. But I'm going back to a pattern I've been using for over a number of years, and that is for different months I have a different theme that I focus on. And so January, the beginning of the year, I have certain things to think about. That is transformation, changing our lives. A lot of people have made New Year's resolutions and things like that to make big changes. So we want to look at the subject of repentance. And I know when some people hear the word repentance, and a lot of people in the world, they're thinking, I don't know, I don't know about that repentance, the very idea of it. Um, probably sounds like a scary thing. Some people kind of dismiss repentance. And I will talk about the definition of repentance in a moment. But usually people think about repentance as turning away from the things in life that they want and they're eager to, eager to pursue. And so, and, and a lot of people have a lot of different things they do. When it comes to repentance or them personally, a lot of people will say, I, you know, I don't really need this or that. And uh, I'm good. I don't have to study my Bible every day. And I, mean, I don't pray the way that I should. But, you know, I'm a good person and good people go to heaven Therefore, I'm going to heaven. And I've often said that's the, the number one false doctrine and false teaching that you hear today is people giving themselves this kind of confidence and thought that I'm okay. But listen what that means. What it means is, is that you, what you're saying when you say that I'm good, good people go to heaven, I'm going to heaven then, that I don't really need Jesus. Well, why did he come? Why did he die? Why did he rise from the dead? I, why do I need God? Well, God, you owe me salvation because I'm, well, I'm good. And good people go to heaven. So, but who defines who's good? And we read the scriptures. We read a number of places like Romans tells us all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. And Romans 3 tells us about that in detail. Uh, we can go to Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 4. And Paul writes there and he says, we've all sinned. We've been hostile in our minds. We've alienated and separated ourselves from God. And yet Christ has reconciled us. He has brought us back into communion with God. And in that process, what, what Christ re requires of us is that, that we come to believe. And that we come to repent. And that we be willing not to just believe and repent, but believe so much that we'll confess before others that we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And that He rose from the dead. We're willing to share our faith. That's a part of becoming a Christian. And it's essential before you're even baptized. And Jesus says we become disciples, we become Christians when we're baptized. When Christ rose from the dead, another passage that stands out to me is in Luke 24. Look at this. Luke 24. Jesus is risen from the dead. He's talking to his disciples. He's preparing them. And he's telling them about what the scriptures have said and the prophecies and the predictions. And he's explaining things to them. And he's telling them, you know all those predictions. How it's written that the gospel is going to spread. It's going to go out from Jerusalem. What's going to spread? What's a part of the gospel? And I think this is an important thing as well. That repentance is essential to the gospel. It's essential that we repent and are in connection with our faith. And it's essential that we keep repenting. That we, we keep doing it. It's not something, oh, I did it once. Now I've been saved. I don't need to repent anymore. There's, there's a part of repentance that continues on. I want to look at that too. But here, look at, look at how repentance is a part of the gospel. Jesus says, Luke 24, Thus it is written. Written where? I love that. You can quote scripture. Just say, thus it is written. And Jesus does that. He says that the Christ, he's talking about himself, the prophesied one, should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead. There's the gospel. But what are you going to do with that gospel? And he says, and that repentance for what? For the forgiveness of sins. 
for the remission of sins. The word there in Greek for means to enter in. That's what the New Testament is written. It's written in Greek. To enter into the state of forgiveness where God releases you and looses you, releases you from your sins. You've got to repent. And it should be, he says, this repentance is going to be proclaimed in his name to all nations. And that is true. The nations of the world hear this. They hear the gospel. They hear about Jesus' death. They hear his resurrection. And they need to hear the message of repentance. It's essential. It's essential to the gospel. And he says, beginning in Jerusalem. Let's look at another passage here. God calls all people everywhere to repent. And you remember this. Paul's preaching in the Areopagus in Acts chapter 17. And he says, he no longer overlooks ignorance. And now he's talking about ignorance. He says, the ignorance of not knowing who God is. You once worshipped an unknown God. That's what he was saying to the Athenians there. Paul was preaching. And he says, but now you shouldn't do that anymore. God is going to hold you accountable. There's a day of judgment is coming. He's given assurance by resurrecting Jesus from the dead. And all the world is going to be judged by him. And that you need to repent of ignorance. The Greek word for ignorance is agnoia. It's where we get the word for agnostic. You've got to repent of being an agnostic. And agnostic is a term that's used today and mainly by people who don't believe, skeptics, atheists, and so forth. It means they say, I don't know if God exists or not, but I think he doesn't. That's what they say. It's a form of agnosticism. It's very prevalent. It's growing here in the United States. And the Bible says God calls all people to repent from agnosticism. The Bible tells us we can know our Creator. Jesus is seeking, you will find. There will be no excuse for that. But God also loves us. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4, He loves all people and wishes all to be saved. And a verse that helps reflect that is 2 Peter 3 and verse 9. So you see that on the screen. And Peter says this, The Lord is not lack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So God doesn't want anybody to perish. He doesn't want anybody to suffer and to be separated from Him eternally, which would be torment. It is to be in hell. He says He wants people to repent. So what does that mean? To repent. Christ came, Christ says, I didn't come to, to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Which again is, opens our eyes to the fact that, yes, as, as Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he says, I am the foremost of sinners. He doesn't mean that he's continuing to sin. He may stumble here and there, just as we read about in the Scripture. But he isn't living a life of that. But he says, I am the foremost of sinners because of all the things that I know that I've done that have been wrong. You fix my mic here. That's what I get for waving my hands around. All right. But Christ came to call, the, not the righteous. See, if you think, oh, I'm righteous, I'm, I'm good, and good people go to heaven, and you're, you're with that kind of thinking, you're not going to come to Christ. And, and Jesus had to say that to the Jews of the day who were listening to Him. And He says, I didn't come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Think about it a little bit further. You know, I think about these things in regards to repentance. Why do our friends and family, and why do so many refuse to repent or to believe? Why do we struggle to repent? And I think these things, when we study them more, it helps us, but it helps us to also talk to those we love and we care about. How can I help them to strengthen their faith, to believe, to repent of their sins? What can be done there? 
See, again, we see repentance in the gospel from the very beginning. In Matthew chapter 4, before Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. It's now time to change. The definition of repentance means to change your mind. Metanoia. Change your thinking. Think in a different way. And I want you to notice some of these scriptures as I'm going through this kind of a side parallel to everything we're reading here is what has to take place. And in the context here, a lot of the passages we read in the Bible, and I know I, I sing the song with the kids. I put my hand up and I say, hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized, and rise up to live how you ought to. That's how you, what you should do. Some of those are not in a definitive order. And that is, sometimes what we're going to read about in Scripture is you'll see a number of these Scriptures here is that hear, believe, and sometimes people don't believe because they need to hear, repent, believe. And the belief and repentance go together. And I know that because I read a number of these passages here like Mark 1 and verse 15. Now, specifically with the Jews, they already believe in God. So, of course, their, their problem with believing Jesus is going to be repentance. And so Jesus says the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Believe in the good news. Believe that the Christ has come. So how can repentance, how can it come before faith? That just seems, you know, growing up in the churches of Christ and hearing preaching, that seems um, kind of a peculiar idea. Let's look at a few other scriptures. What is the gospel's re uh, repentance entail? The gospel declared throughout the nations was that they should repent and convert. Repent, you change your thinking toward God and convert to God doing works compatible with repentance. And so when you repent, then you convert, you act, you turn to God and you do works that go along with it. So again, is this saying repentance is going tied in with conversion? Yes, definitely. But what was what, does one go before the other? Keep looking here. We have a number of scriptures. Acts 20, Hebrews chapter 6, where Christ and the apostles teach faith as depending on repentance many times. Now, a lot of people won't believe because they haven't repented. We're going to look at another scripture that talks a little bit about that too. And it might seem kind of strange. It's like, well, how can I repent again before I believe? But a lot of times, if, if there's sins, if there's things in your life that you prefer over God, you don't want to think about God. You want to ignore Him. You want to stay away from Him. You resist what He says. You know that's true. Even as a Christian now, we, we, when you see those who have been baptized, and I remember hearing the story. I'll give this story. I think it is a good illustration. Preacher one time was preaching. He had a young man that kept coming in. And was really good and faithful in the congregation. One day that young man came up to the front. The preacher had been preaching on why you should believe in God. Why you should believe in the Bible. Believe that Christ rose from the dead. And he came forward and says, you know what? I just don't know if I believe. I'm struggling now. I have doubts. And the preacher talked with him some. And he said, okay. And he went away. And the, boy, the young man said he would pray about it. And the next week he comes to church. And with him is his new girlfriend. And again, he comes up to the preacher afterwards and he says, I don't know. I don't know if I believe anymore. I'm struggling. I'm struggling. And the preacher tries to help him some more. And the young man goes away. The third week he comes back and the preacher would find out some information. He found out what was happening. 
young man comes forward and he says, I don't know if I believe. And the preacher said to him, are you, are you sleeping with your girlfriend? Are you all together? Is that what you're doing? And he said, yes. And he said, well, that's why you're doubting. That's why you're struggling. And we see that in Scripture. A lot of times that struggle to change, to transform, uh, to believe, and to put all our trust in God are all tied together. And I think it's good for us to see that link together, to know the importance of it, so that we have a way that we can plead with others and strengthen others' faith uh, and for others to come to Christ. Repentance is essential to a living faith. Repentance is essential to a living faith. So many have a misconception of what repentance is. Some people say, well, I've repented, meaning, oh, I feel sorry about what I did. But even the scriptures say that sorrow is not repentance, but that godly sorrow, there's worldly sorrow and godly sorrow, that godly sorrow leads to repentance. It leads to a change in your mind where your thinking changes and your behavior changes and you turn against sin and you don't want it anymore and you want God and you want Christ. That's what the scriptures teach. So there's often misconception that repentance is merely sorrow. It's not. And some have the idea that repentance is merely a change of behavior. No, it's not just changing your behavior. It has a changing of the way that you think and the way that you perceive. It's a change of thinking. And then some would say, well, it's just a change of thinking. It doesn't really involve my actions. No, if your thinking changes, the Bible tells us repeatedly, your actions are going to change. And we're going to look at another passage about that. Now, um, look at this. And this is why, not only do we repent before we're baptized, but we continue to repent. Our transformation is dependent upon our minds continue to be renewed on God and on Christ. How is that going to happen? What's going to happen when I'm in church, when I'm studying, when I'm studying the Bible, when I'm studying with others, when I'm encouraged by others? And and I can read you a number of other scriptures that show you all this, but let's stick right here. Look at Romans 12 and verse 2. Paul says, he revealed, do not be conformed to this world. So first of all, if you're trying to conform to the world, if you're going on with whatever's going on in the media, what's on TV, and whatever you're being... Uh, you could be fed through the television or whatever you find entertaining. If it's vile, if it's profane, if it dismisses God, if it's contrary to holiness, you're going to have a problem. You're conforming to the world. That needs to change. He says this, Paul says, do this, but be transformed. How can I be transformed? How can my life change? You hear a lot of people talk about that. I want my life to change. And, I, and they'll say, well, I believe in God, and I have a lot of struggles. I struggle to read, and I struggle to pray, and I have so many temptations in my life. How can I be transformed? And the Bible continues to tell us how. By the renewal of your mind. By the way that you think. He says that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. And you may examine and study and see what the will of God is in the Scriptures. What is good and acceptable and perfect. And if we were to back up in Romans 12, look at verse 1, we see we're to be a living sacrifice and to offer ourselves to God. So we can make that change. Here's another passage. Before Paul said that in Romans 12, he seems to be reflecting on this scripture. Romans 8, 5 through 6. Romans 8, 5 through 6. It says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. 
Why do I struggle with this temptation and this one? Because you're thinking about it. Because you put yourself around it. Romans chapter 13, verses 13 and 14 says, Make no provision for the flesh. Romans 13, 13 through 14. Make no provision for the flesh. Don't think that you can put yourself in the context of temptation and that everything is going to work out. You're supposed to cut those things off. Remove them from your life. Find a way. And so again, Paul says, if you, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. What has the Spirit given us? He's given us all truth through the Scriptures, through God's Word, through the Bible. The things that we can read that Jesus preached with the, the apostles taught, Paul and Peter and John. Those things enlighten us. They open our eyes. They hope it help us to see past the flesh to see truth. We've got to be able to think in that way. We've got to change our minds. And so discipleship is so important. That's why as a congregation, we want to encourage each other to be reading our Bibles and, you know, at least five chapters a week. Five chapters a week, again, you'll finish the New Testament in a year. And if you do 23 chapters a week, you'll finish the Bible in a year. We need to be studying. So if we start looking at this new year, how can we change? How can we transform what starts with our mind and our, our thinking? And when we begin to be transformed and repent, and our focus is on God, we're going to find it's, we're going to put our trust in Him more. It'll be much more easier to believe in Him, and it's just going to increase and compound with our repentance. Why do many hate the idea of repenting? Why do they hate it? I want us to look at this. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to... John chapter 3. And just listen to what Jesus says here. I have my observations already up there on the screen, but kind of ignore them for a minute and read with me. You have your Bible. John 3. We all know John 3.16, but do we know the verses right after it? John 3.16 to 21. And this is what Jesus says. For God so loved the world, He loves you. He loves you so much that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I want that. That's wonderful. Keep reading. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order the world might be saved through Him. He doesn't want you to be condemned. He wants you to be saved. We've been reading that. So what does that mean? Look at verse 18. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. If you believe in Him, you're not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. I haven't put my trust in Christ. Why is it that I don't believe? Why is it that I don't trust in Him? Why do I struggle with that? And so Jesus goes on and He explains here. He says, because He has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. You've got to believe in Christ, in His name, in His authority. Verse 19, and this is the judgment. Listen to this. And this is the judgment. The light has come in the world. Christ has come in the world. And people love the darkness. They love the evil. They love the world rather than they love Rather than the light, because their works were, what's it say? Their works were evil. They didn't want to come to Christ because Jesus says they won't come to the truth because their works are evil. What does that tell me? Well, if I continue to, to what evil works and I'm not pursuing God, it's going to be very hard to believe in Christ and trust Him fully. And so you see, again, faith and repentance both working on each other. 
You know, we might believe some and then we need to repent some and then that repentance leads us to a fuller faith and then we come to a great and full repentance where we become Christians. It's a big change. Let's keep reading 20 and 21. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light. Those who do wicked things, they like the evil. They're not going to like Jesus. They're not going to like the Jesus they read about in the scriptures. They might come up with a different Jesus or a different God, but they don't like Christ as we read about him. And does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. They don't want their evil works being exposed. That sounds just like the world we're living in today. Don't tell me I'm doing wrong. Don't warn me about that. Don't judge me. No, we don't like the feeling of judgment. But we need it. We need the warnings. Verse 21, Jesus, this is what Jesus says. But whoever does what is true, whoever does what's true, comes to the light. So it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. That's a powerful scripture. And it might answer a lot of questions for you this morning about the things that you struggle with as far as your faith and your temptations. So many things that stand out here that we made some observations here. We can see this, that evil behavior can definitely hinder our faith. How important is repentance? It's so important we've seen this morning. I want to encourage you. Christ wants you to turn, to transform, to change your life. And now is the time to do it. There's a number of other scriptures you can go. You can go and Google repentance, verses about repentance, and look at what the Bible has to say. Just go through them and read them. I like this here. It's very encouraging. Jesus says in Luke 15, verse 7, He says, I say to you, likewise, that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need real repentance. There's joy in heaven. The angels rejoice. God rejoices when we repent. And it's not something we should shy away from and say, well, I don't need to be changing my mind or repenting. I'm already, I'm okay. No. We're always in that state of renewal of the mind and transformation. Luke 15 and verse 10, Jesus says, Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Can you imagine that? This morning you could bring joy in the heavens if you need to repent and because you do it. Because you turn to God. The call of repentance, Jesus also says, is an act of love. Jesus says, those whom I love, I rebuke and I chasten doesn't mean that he's mean or cruel. We don't see him doing that. But we see him warning us, lovingly warning us, to escape wicked things. To escape and put away sin. I hope this morning that we know the power of God's Word to change us, to change our thinking. And that if you haven't been studying the Scriptures and studying the Bible, that you go back to it. and You begin this week. We have little... Um, the schedule for readings out there, and I can give you one for the New Testament if you want it as well. We want to study the Scriptures. We want our minds to change. We want to be committed to Christ. I want to conclude with Romans 12. We've read part of it this morning already, but this will lead us to our invitation. Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies... As a living sacrifice, give yourself holy, your body, to God as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable worship. 
Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing, renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This morning, if you want to put on Christ in baptism, you need to believe and confess and you need to repent. Those two come together. As was read for us, Cohen read from us, Acts 2, verse 38, where Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins. This morning, if you want to put on Christ in baptism, you can do it. You need prayers, encouragement, and repentance. We encourage you to come forward. We encourage you to be constantly studying and reading the Scriptures, praying and committing yourselves, encouraging others. Whatever your needs are this morning, we encourage you to come right now. Let's sing together.